Hi, I'm Heather Bell and welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs, where we get together every other week and talk shop with some of the smartest women in ETFs. Today, I'm speaking with A.E. So, Global Head of Core and Multi-Asset Product Management at S&P Dow Jones Indices. A, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Heather, for having me on. It's really great to get the chance to speak with you again. But your role at S&P Dow Jones has changed recently, and I was wondering if you could talk about your new position and what that involves. Yes, I'm focusing at the moment on core and multi-asset indices at S&P Dow Jones Indices. I am responsible for the commercial success of our core and multi-asset franchise. So that includes our U.S. equity, global equities, commodities, custom solutions, and then multi-asset solutions. And multi-asset is something we've carved out dedicated fashion post-merger with IHS market. With IHS market, you know, bringing the fixed income capabilities and we have really strong equity franchise, we are very much focused on the multi-asset solutions for our clients. With everything that's been going on, I've been looking at the Spiever report and it's saying that active management has had a pretty good year, at least for active management and in the U.S. I was wondering, what are you seeing in terms of demand for index strategies right now? The demand for index strategies are pretty far ranging, you know, despite the volatility we see in the market, there is very strong demand for uh, U.S. equities. And, and I see that not just in the U.S. with U- U.S. based investors, but is global. The case for U.S. equities is still very strong, especially in light of the fact that the economics fundamentals remains very strong for the U.S. But at the same time, you know, we see a lot of demand for income generating strategies. Income is a, an evergreen theme. And right now, our dividend indices are really doing well. And so the, the income based strategies and not just dividend based, I actually the cover call strategy. So all kinds of income generating strategies are, you know, doing very well and we're seeing demand from our clients. At the same time, we remain very focused on ESG. We remain focused on fixed income and commodities. Commodities this year, as you know, Heather, is, you know, going through the roofs. Yes. Energy. So again, right, like even though the market environment remains quite choppy, you know, our index offerings and the demand for our index offerings are cutting across several asset classes and, and investment themes. Yeah, I, I saw the report that came out, I think, earlier this week where the uh, high dividend, low volatility stocks in the S&P 500 were kind of where the best performance was. I mean, they were still down year to date, but they were significantly better than the, you know, broad S&P 500 index. That's right. You know, and, and we've done quite a lot of research on dividend and dividend strategies. And what we have found is dividend strategies provide a degree of cushion, especially when markets are down. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like, because that that income or that you get from dividend provides cushion so they're not down as much and at the same time they participate when markets go up it's interesting you brought up high dividend low volatility securities because 
even among all the dividend paying stocks, not all are created equal. If you have like companies that are focused on like really high dividend payouts or like, or have really high, you know, yield, I think you almost want to take a step back and be careful because are they paying out high yield because they have no place to go? And at the same time, yield is a function of, you know, I call it D over P. Is it because the price has been beaten down so much? So I think like high paying dividend stocks, but with low volatility seems to be like a sweet spot, like based on the research that we've done. We've actually published quite a lot on that topic. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been following a lot of that actually and kind of stemming from that low volatility comment. I was wondering, what are your thoughts are on the spike in volatility that we've seen in the U.S. after not having very much volatility for so long? It's been incredible. You know, we have markets that are up like 3%, 4%, and then the next day you can have a correction of like 4%. It's incredibly roller coaster like you know, and something we haven't seen since like, like March 2020, the COVID days. And so to me, it's incredibly vol- like volatile, to say the least, and tells me that, you know, investors are incredibly, you know, risk on and risk up. There's no clear direction. It's, it's choppy and it's very range bound. And during periods like this, you know, we've focused a lot on volatility management education with our clients and index users. And it's been really educating them on the need for volatility management, why it's important. It's like an insurance. You never know <laughs> that you need it until the hurricane comes, you know, and then you realize you need it and it can spike all of a sudden without any warning. And because of that, we encourage, you know, to think about incorporating volatility management in the investment process, whether it's, you know, through index-based solutions or what have you. And to, to be honest, we offer a range of index-based solutions in terms of volatility management, starting with, you know, incorporating VIX as a signal. As you know, the the VIX index is based on the S&P 500 option. So it's a good gauge of where investors' head is at, the risk appetite is at. So there's a, I mean, this is an interesting market and I'm sure one that we will be, you know, talking about for years to come just because of how choppy it's been. Absolutely. I I feel like investors just don't know where to like look right now or where to hang on to to anchor their portfolio at this point. Absolutely. I feel the same way, you know? <laughs> Are there any other asset classes besides equities that that are getting attention now? I mean, I know we've seen, at least from our end at ETFs.com, we've seen more assets go into fixed income, but that's been kind of uneven. So I was wondering if you'd seen any trends in that regard. There's, you know, yes, there's flows into fixed income and it's been somewhat unequal. There's also flows into commodity. And that is also a bit an equal. We're not seeing much in terms of flows into listed products, but we do see based on the trading, based on like our S&P GSCI index and based on client demand. So we do know that there's fam- there's a lot of interest in commodities, especially in our index GSCI, which is energy heavy. 
and you know energy is is having a really you know great time in the spotlight again after after having a rough cycle so there's fair amount of interest in commodities and i want to say anything that is somewhat inflation hedging at the moment so fair amount of interest in inquiries on asset classes such as real estate and infrastructure. So I would say, you know, and I think it's not just based on flows into ETFs, but based on also trading volumes on our OTC products leading to our indices. I would say the interest is really around broad-based equities and also commodities and any asset classes that is, you know, somewhat inflation hedging and income producing. Gosh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. As the global head of core and multi-asset product management, where are you seeing demand at the global level, given all that's going on? Is it still like the same, like it's all mostly income and dividend strategies or are there other like kind of like hotspots? It's interesting. At the global level, there is one clear direction is that there is still appetite for U.S. equities. And that's because U.S. equities has fare better than other developed markets and even better than EM. And so that's been one consistent trend. You know, I just wrapped up a two week in Asia and talking to clients in markets such as Singapore, Tokyo and Korea. And my take is that, you know, the clients are still very much interested in U.S. equities and are willing to write out this volatility that they're seeing because, again, U.S. equity or U.S. capital markets are at the moment in a far better shape, less than developed Europe or UK or emerging market. So that trend remains clear. But depending on the region, we do see some sub-trends. So, for example, in Europe, ESG and climate remains a very strong theme, particularly climate around net zero and Paris-aligned climate transition benchmark. So we're focusing heavily on that based on client demand in Europe. And in Asia-Pacific, again, dividend strategies are very popular, also in Latin America and U.S., to be honest, because investors intuitively understand income and, and having that burden, like burden the hand kind of theory, like that income in, in, in the pocket. So some clear global trends, and then depending on the region, trends that, that we're seeing. Gotcha. So the big global news these days is always what's going on with Russia and its invasion of Ukraine. And I was wondering, have you seen anything in, or have you had a lot of investor questions about how that is affecting things like asset allocation or you know, where they want to invest because of that global instability that the invasion is causing. I mean, people are actually talking about like nuclear events or something like that. And I was just wondering what you've been seeing around that. Sure. Obviously, the Russian-Ukraine conflict was a, a major geopolitical event for us and is still ongoing this year. You know, out, coming out of since February, Due to sanctions, you know, Russian capital markets remain investable and Russian securities have, have been removed from major indices. But away from that, you know, I think 
there are certain trends that definitely are permeating across, you know, world market. And one really what we cannot avoid is this whole supply chain disruption and spiking commodities, particularly in the agricultural space and the grain that which is feeding into, you know, inflation and, and CPI in, in food prices. So that's definitely one thing that we cannot ignore. But, you know, to your point, Heather, there's a lot of talk about energy security. Russia is a major provider of gas. And so particularly in Europe, when I'm talking to our European clients, the discussion is about energy security and also the actual defense security, right? Yeah. It used to be that defense and arms, you know, companies may not be entirely ESG compliant, but there's discussions and there's conversations around, okay, what does it mean in terms of through the lens of that that security, national security or sovereign security. And I think those discussions are very much ongoing, in my opinion. And, you know, that's something really for our ESG experts in, in our shop to really comment on. But I want to like acknowledge that the discussions on energy security and the sovereign security, all that is going on in the background. Wow. Are there... Any other like topics you've seen kind of like rise to the forefront, given like you're, you had mentioned the like issue of security, energy security and, you know, defense security. Is there anything else right now that is kind of like top of mind in investors like discussions with you or exchanges discussions with you? I think, you know, when we're talking to our clients these days, there's a lot. It's all tied to the market volatility the volatility that they seeing in the equity market as well as in the fixed income market. And then what does that mean in terms of, you know, the invest, the returns, especially if you talk to pension plans versus, you know, individual investors, it always comes down to uh, what does that mean in terms of the ability to provide for plan participants or like on an individual perspective, what does that mean in terms of financial security. So I think there's a lot of concerns around, you know, financial security that comes to surface. At the same time, I always go back to inflation because a year ago, we weren't as concerned about inflation. We thought it was going to be transitory. And here we are sitting in, you know, October 2022. That's like the only thing that is riling up the market. And and I was just reading, you know, just about an hour ago about how you know, central bankers or the policymakers used to be what volatility suppressors. I think it's Mohammed Ilaran who said that, but now they are like the instigators, you know, especially like with what's going on in the UK last week. So I think there's the, the twin trends that are really at the forefront of our clients. Inflation, inflation eating investment returns. So inflation risk and then the market's risk really also eating, you know, eating away returns and financial security. Yeah, actually, when you brought up Mohamed el and he had talked, I believe, about raising rates too much. And it could, if the U.S. raises their rates, you know, too much, and I don't know how they determine that balance, but what are the implications for other markets, given that, you know, the Fed isn't showing any signs of slowing down on that? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. That's major you know, implications, first of all, in the 
just the strength of the dollar itself, right? Yeah. Uh, it's there's so much written about that. And again, I was I was in Asia, I was in Tokyo and in Korea, and I saw how strong the US dollar is, you know, against major G7 currencies, including the yen. So there's impl- implications in the currency markets, you know, that itself. And then on EM um, countries that have to borrow in US dollar and to pay in US dollar. So I think, you know, I think there's the, obviously I'm not a policy expert, nor economist, but you know, we can, as, as an, as a, as an individual investor, as a financial prof, uh, profession, professional, we can see clearly this, you know, central banks hawkish stance and, and the implications it can have on other major economies and, and the currencies, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, you know, pretty, I, I would say big. Gotcha. I guess we will have to end it there. We've, talked about a lot of different things and I really appreciate your insights. Hey, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Heather. It's been great. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for joining us as well. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. For all episodes of ETF Working Lunch, please check out ETF.com or any of the major podcast platforms. See you next time.